Hi, my name is Tony DeBono, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dumbledore. Wait, what's that? The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Welcome, one and all, to episode 97 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, stroking her beard like she's thinking deep thoughts, my lovely beardless co-host, Brittany Page. I was really doing that, and I don't know why. <laughs> what What are you doing? I'm not sure. I'm reading an email, and I guess it was making me... It, it was almost like in those kung fu movies, you were a, a Shaolin monk that was like running his fingers down his, his Fu Manchu. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something's you, wrong with me today. So, solving the world's problems? I'm very tired today. Maybe it was the blood draw that Ugh. you got the other day that um, made you terrified. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's what it is, but it is funny that you say that because right after that happened, I walked into the classroom where my next class was going to be and two of my classmates were in there and they stopped what they were doing and looked at me and they were like, are you okay? <laughs> and I said, yeah, why? And they're like, you just don't look great. And I said, oh, I just got my blood drawn. So that's probably why. For the audience's uh, edification, uh, Brittany, the lovely and talented Brittany Page, is getting her blood drawn to make sure to make certain that she is doesn't does or does not need a booster for the measles vaccine because of the nuttiness right now in our state specifically. Right. And by our state, I mean the state in which we live. I do not claim this to be my state. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's good. So you're doing the responsible thing, making sure that you are up to date and, yeah. and ready to go to battle the vicious disease. Right. I have, I, I hope I have enough of the, um, whatever I need in my system of the vaccine or whatever. The antibodies. Right. Um, because I don't want to get the shot because it costs like $67. Yeah. And that's expensive. Yeah. Brittany Page is not one who likes to spend money in any amount. Even if it's to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I do want to call out to the audience real quick before we get going. Um, these drops that you're hearing at the top of the show, uh, I've received many of them. Um, I don't know, 15, 20, maybe 25 of them. And I love them. They're awesome. But I still need more. I want a whole bunch of them to be able to choose from to put at the beginning of each show. So... Call in 657-464-7609. Make them short, 10 seconds, whatever. If you want to make them creative or funny or whatever, I just want you to say how you never listen to the show. And if you don't want to call in and leave a voicemail, you can record yourself on your smartphone and email it to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Either of those ways are great. Do it because it's funny and I will love you for it. Moving on. Let me ask you, if you live in the United States and you have been watching TV at all, and I would assume on any channel because I've been seeing this goddamn commercial running incessantly, tell me if you're familiar with this. Guys, this Valentine's Day, size really does matter. So if you want to score big points with your Valentine, go big with the big hunk of love bear from Vermont Teddy Bear. This guy is a four and a half foot tall pile of awesomeness. He's big, he's soft. And let's face it, no girl can resist a teddy bear that's this adorable. The big hunk of love bear from Vermont teddy so, bear. So that's no it. Ordinary Valentine's present. The, it's the no girl can resist it is what drives me fucking way. crazy. Think about it. It drives me crazy. I just I know why it bothers you. And th those are different reasons than, than why it bothers me. It bothers me because it's, it's a giant teddy bear. Who wants to 
Who wants to give or get that as a gift? Where in the hell are you going to put it? It's a four foot tall teddy bear. Yeah, it's and massive. It's, it's ninety nine ninety nine. That's how much it costs. Right. That is insane. That's a hundred dollars. Well, it's also. <laughs> Do you know how many lobster rolls I could buy with a hundred dollars? Probably five of them. No. Six, <laughs> yeah, okay. maybe seven. Yeah, that's true. So here's the deal. Not to shit on your beloved lobster roll, but here's the deal. It's it's a teddy bear. It's not that wonderful a gift. And let me ask you, Miss Miss Page. Do you think you'd be able to resist the wiles of getting a, a teddy bear as a gift? I may have said that if someone were to buy me that. No, I won't say that. <laughs> um, we won't say what I said. Um, but I um, I have no desire to have a teddy bear. And they, they have this commercial and they have these women like jumping into bed with the teddy bear all excited. Mm, mm-hmm. And then like. Or, or the, the boyfriend walks up behind her with the teddy bear and she turns around and just loses her mind for this teddy oh, bear. Dee-ha! Yeah, no. So you're, dumb. You're a grown woman. What are you doing reacting like that when someone gives you a freaking teddy bear? The other thing is they show, like, to juxtapose this gift, this wonderful gift, against what you shouldn't do, they act like women hate flowers because flowers die. To me, that's the good thing about giving flowers. Is you get to get rid of them. They also um, say chocolates are bad as right. a gift. Well, they show the woman like dumping out this giant heart-shaped box of chocolates, disgusted. I know. How dare she waste all those delicious chocolates? It's anyway. These commercials are everywhere, and it's a pre. Obviously, it's a push toward toward Valentine's Day, and it's getting on my nerves. Thankfully, we're coming up on. The Tuesday before Valentine's Day. When's Valentine's Day? It already happens. Tuesday was yesterday. Oh, so yesterday, <laughs> Tuesday. So two days ago for you, audience. Um, two days ago is what they call Red Tuesday. Right. They were talking about it on the news, and apparently it's the biggest day for breakups of the year. Right. And because people <laughs> want to break up before Valentine's Day because of the pressure to do something on Valentine's Day or give a gift on Valentine's Day. This is what was said on the news anyway. I tried to find something to corroborate this and... Nowhere to be found. I couldn't really ah. find anything that I like trusted, but um, I think that's weird. Well, You're breaking funny. up to avoid Valentine's Day? There's a lot of weak-ass, punk-ass guys out there. Why do you need... Why is Valentine's Day so stressful? I don't understand. I, well, I think a lot of women put a lot of... Well, maybe that's sexist. You know, I think, well, no, I, I, I think I'm safe in that assumption that a lot of women put a lot of importance on Valentine's Day, which is, listen, if your relationship, if you're not demonstrating constant love and commitment and adoration and appreciation for your partner year round, if you only do it on Valentine's Day, something's wrong. It's going to take more than a goddamn four-foot bear to make shit good. I think people just, there's so many bad relationships and people are just kind of trudging along, just going through the motions and they're okay with being in their shitty relationship. So if Red Tuesday is the breakup, the big daddy breakup day, then there's probably going to be a lot of guys, you know, uh, helping themselves out. All right. Yeah. That's... I wonder, you know, when we used to, one summer we went to church camp and Uh-oh. Oh yeah, it's a church camp story. Uh-oh. Except this time I didn't have to get No, nah, I'm joking. Okay. Uh, no, we were on a bus. We were going to a, a, a youth conference at a at, at Pacific Lutheran University in well, I don't know why I'm shaking my arm like I'm giving a Hitler speech or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, we went to Pacific Lutheran University every summer to a thing called Youth Alive. Oh, it sounds great. Oh, wow. It was so good. And um, on the bus there, we, we we traveled from northern Idaho to Seattle. So, I don't know, a six-hour drive or, mm-hmm. or so. And all of a sudden, people on the left side of the bus were ah, freaking out. And mm-hmm. it turned out there was a man. Oh, God. In a truck, in a pickup truck. Oh, God. Who was um, abusing his penis... While he drove down the road. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he so, was driving. Yeah, driving and, and jerking it. 
while he drove. Was he driving straight? Was he driving well? I, I, well, I, I wasn't really paying attention to the quality of his of his driving. You were paying attention to the quality of the jerk. Well, I wasn't even paying attention to the quality of the jerk. It sounds like you were. <laughs> you're, I think you're 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 really trying to make the clip at the end of the show. <laughs> um, well, imagine. It's a, a bus with, let's say, I don't know, maybe 35 to 50 Christian kids right. who are sitting equally on both sides, on either side of the bus. When the man is discovered to be masturbating, all of a sudden there's no kids on the right side of the bus. Everybody's on the left, you know, t- looking at the center. <laughs> Did he notice? Did he ever look up? I don't remember, but I remember the bus either slowing down or speeding up to make sure we weren't next to him. Oh, God. It's <laughs> that is alarming. <laughs> I think it happens more than people think. Well, I have also encountered a public masturbation experience. Oh, wow. Yeah. How was it for you? Were you uh, did you have a good time while you masturbated in public? <laughs> it was not me. Oh, sure. It wasn't um, Brittany Page. No, I was, probably, I was probably like 13 at the time. That's early to be masturbating. Anyway, and <laughs> I was floating the Boise River with my my mom and my mom's friend, and I think maybe my sisters, my two younger sisters, were with us. Let's let's kind of explain floating the Boise River. the 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 river in Boise is obviously the Boise River, and by floating, it's just inner tubing down the river. I don't know if this is a a regional thing. Right, it's not like a, a super scary river where you need to be rafting and have gear right, on. Yeah. You just you're in an inner tube and your ass is in the water and you have a good time. Yeah. And it's like three or four hours and long. And it's hundreds of people do this on any given weekend. So. Right. So we were doing that. And at one point, um, I think either my mom or my mom's friend started yelling at someone that was up in the trees over right. the right. Boise River. Very wooded. Boise uh, is Le Bois, which is it's the city of trees is the nickname. So there's a ton of trees down there by the river. Right, and this man was in the trees with his pants down, masturbating, watching the women go by in their bathing suits in the inner tubes. Wow. And I didn't know what was happening really at the time. I think I was kind of confused, and I didn't really know what he was doing. Sure, sure. And um, my mom screamed at him and you know called him an effing pervert or whatever my mom would say. And <laughs> Well, did he finish? He fell out of the tree, like <laughs> slid down out of the tree. And wow. then I saw him running up a hill through the trees, pulling his pants up, like trying to just get out of there as quick as he could. What has what has a person done to themselves or had done to them in childhood that would make them need to do something like that? Like what gratification does he get? That's a weird thing. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's bizarre to me. It just seems like you could stay home and do it. Well, and you know, you have a computer now. Well, there's something in there that there, there's a trigger that makes that person makes him feel aroused because of the risk, I think. Right. But goddamn, there's a. Well, it's also a bummer because there were kids. And I mean, I was 13. So that means, you know, one of my younger sisters is five years younger than me. And then the other one is like eight years younger than me. And these right. were young kids. Yeah. So to be doing that is is not good well, when there's kids that are on the river. To put it mildly, but it makes you wonder who his target was. That's the other thing. Was, yeah. it, was it the sister that was eight years younger that he was <laughs> or was it your your mom? I mean, the the scary thing is, like you're saying, yeah, it could be kids. And the other thing, when you're on the river, you can't, you don't have a phone or anything. So we couldn't call the cops. Right. You had to wait until you were done floating the river. Or wait until he's done. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you float the river until an end point when, where it's easy to get out and, and cars are parked. You know, right. you strategically take, you strategically meet somewhere, like take your cars to certain places well, you got to get back to where how you got to your drop-off point. Exactly. Yeah. So there's an end point that you get to, and you can't really just stop in the middle of the river and go well, about and your also, business. Also, it would be difficult to get from the middle of the river to the shore to chase him down and kick him in the balls. Right. It you was know? just a difficult situation. <laughs> so he got away, and hopefully he stopped doing it. He lived to jerk another day, mm-hmm. as, as they say. Yes. That's what the kids say now. <laughs> I haven't heard that, but cool. That's great and creative. Right. So that's uh, that's terrible. 
Terrible. It wasn't a good experience. Most of my experiences on the Boise River were terrible. So yeah, huh? well, uh, stories for another day. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll put that one in the uh, in the file for tomorrow. So I want to do a little follow up before we move on. Um, we had a lot of all the things from last episode that got talked about. The one thing that really drew the most scrutiny and criticism was my talk and my opinions um, and my lampooning. And one more, and my stark criticism of Bill Maher. Which was weird because I had the same opinion as you. Right. And in fact, I think I was more fired up than you were. I mean, I was very angry about the situation, but I received messages from a handful of people and they didn't criticize me. <laughs> they right. criticized you. So that was interesting. But I think. What kind of freaks me out about it a little bit is um, we try to emphasize free thinking and open discussion. And typically, I guess, our listeners lean to the left. I think that's kind of what we have found. And that's typical of people in a non-believer atheist community. I think so. Um, So that makes sense. And they like... And and that's okay. Yeah. No, that's great. Especially because... That's me. Right. Um, <laughs> Those are your people. I'm joking, but I know I'm serious, but <laughs> I'm tired, everybody. I'm trying right. to keep it together. Okay. Yeah, she, she she got blood drawn like, you know, three days ago, so she's still <laughs> peaking. No. Um, what's interesting to me is because we have this free thinking audience that when we criticize like Huckabee, everybody's all jazzed. But then when we criticize Bill Maher, who is like a token liberal in the community, it's a problem. And it shouldn't be a problem when all we were doing was, I mean, we let him speak for himself, honestly. And he right. he, he lied, just like any other politician that we might talk about on the show. He lied. He's anti-science. We used his own words to describe these things. And I don't understand why it was a problem. Not only did we use his own words against him, I didn't take anything out of context. I liked, I played longer clips specifically So no one could say, oh, well, that's not what he meant or that's not. Listen, using Bill Maher's logic, if I was to employ an argument, I will use Bill Maher's own argument where he says just because there's someone says there's another viewpoint doesn't mean we have to keep the debate going. When there is scientific consensus, the argument is over. That is what Bill Maher said. I'm paraphrasing, but that is what he said. That was the, the, the depth and breadth of it. So using his argument, the argument, it's over. The debate is over about GMOs. Whether, you, whether or not you, you hate Monsanto and think that they're an evil corporation, that, that's fine. You can think that. But genetically modified foods are safe. Unequivocally. It's just the way it is. Right. And even the corporation thing is kind of interesting to me because that came up in a handful of the messages that I received. And someone someone said that that it's important to remember that people don't hate Monsanto because they turn a profit, but because they do stupid stuff like take farmers to court and, and sue them and, and things like that. I've actually not heard that from the majority of people that I've encountered that are um, against Monsanto. I have heard those individuals talk about that they don't like it because they're for profit, so they can't trust them. And then also there's people that believe Monsanto is poisoning people, like just for fun. Right. So that's a problem. And Bill Maher hasn't really gone into depth about how he feels about Monsanto. Again, he just said one word, Monsanto. Right. So That's not an argument. Yeah. So we don't know why he feels how he feels about the corporation. And I don't think that we should read into it and place our own parameters on that and try to guess what he thinks. We should, I guess, wait for him to talk at length about it? He won't because he can't. There's not a, there's not an argument there. Listen, if you don't like the company, that's fine. That, I'm not talking about that. What we're talking about is whether or not GMOs are safe and viable and saving millions of lives and the fact that scientific consensus rests on the side of GMOs. It rests on the side of vaccines, which we'll get into a little later. Well, I guess we'll do it now. Yeah, with Sweet Little Rhett. No, I won't. Uh, Yeah, with Sweet Little Rhett for sure. But here, let me say this. 
L- listen, that's the beauty of what we've got here, what, what we've built here. And when I say we've built, I don't just mean Brittany and I. I mean all of us, the listeners and us. We ha- it's us. We have built this show into something great. It is a conversation. It is moving the conversation forward. I want to have, if you disagree, awesome. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to shit on you and your beliefs. I get it. We're going to have disagreements, especially for the fact that I do lean a little conservative. I'm, I'm okay with, with, with dissent. I'm also open-minded enough to change my mind with, with the evidence and with a good, rational, reasonable argument. So don't be afraid to, to email, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. Don't be afraid to leave a voicemail at 657-464-7609. Don't be afraid. Listen, if you've got a great argument, I'll have you on the goddamn show. I would love to hash some of these things out. I think it would be great. Well, and and here's the other thing I want to note, because it was it was striking to me that people reacted this way about Bill Maher. Because really, we were only just being factual about what he thinks and what he said and how he feels. And even if you're a free thinker, we're all still inclined toward our biases. For instance, if someone starts talking badly about Dr. Drew, I know likey. And I <laughs> yeah, you don't. I start trying to defend him. Well, that might that might have been it, though, because I did call him a douchebag, I think, a couple times. And here's the thing. Look, I'm not a fan. I do. Maybe I get a little excited and a little giddy that I get to shit on Bill Maher because I'm not a fan of Bill Maher. For a long time, Bill Maher called himself a libertarian, which is fucking ridiculous for him to assert that he has any libertarian blood in him at all. He is a a leftist i mean uh, uh, he is super super liberal okay so maybe i get so so if i if i ruffled a little feathers that way yeah i understand that but okay. still i'm doing it also to be entertaining we have to be not only informational and not only conversational but we have to be entertaining at the same goddamn time so it's you know i walk a fine line here okay so maybe that's why people took more issue with you than me i guess maybe so cuz i did name call Okay. And and that's okay. I, I don't mind being called names either. It's it's all in good fun. Except, you know, Bill Maher's a douche. <laughs> all right. So the next piece of follow-up does deal with the vaccine thing. Again, we talked about a couple episodes ago, a little boy named Rhett Crowett, who is recovering. I guess he's in remission right now from uh, leukemia. And his father wanted the the Marin County, whatever school district they're in, to require vaccines just like they require people not to bring peanuts because it's going to it could it puts his son with already a dampened immune system at great risk. So ABC seven reported from this um, school from this school district trustee meeting and this is what happened. My name is Rhett. Tonight, a young boy with leukemia making an impassioned plea for all children to get vaccinated against measles. Good evening, I'm Dan Ashley. And I'm Ama Dates. It happened tonight at a school board meeting in Tiburon. ABC 7 News reporter Lillian Kim is live tonight with the story. Lillian, he was affected. Dan, Marin County residents have certainly developed a reputation for being wary of vaccines, but tonight, the Reed Union School District defied that stereotype. Soon, we will say gone with the measles. Six-year-old leukemia survivor Rhett Crowett will be getting his measles shot in a matter of days. It'll be one year since his last chemo session, and doctors say he'll finally be well enough to withstand the vaccine. But this story isn't about Rhett anymore. It's about the expecting mothers, the babies, and the hundreds of kids currently with suppressed immune systems Tonight, Rhett's parents urged the Reed Union School District to support legislation requiring every student to be fully vaccinated. No more personal belief exemptions. In fact, the only exemption would be for kids who are too sick to get the vaccines. Pediatrician and State Senator Richard Pan is the bill's co-sponsor. The rate of uh, adverse effects from vaccination is much less than the disease itself. Marin County has the state's highest rate of personal belief exemptions, 6.5% among all kindergartners. 
The motion passes. But in a four-to-one vote, the Board of Trustees voted to support Senator Pan's legislation, which means if the bill becomes law, John Minney isn't sure what he'll do. His daughter is only partially immunized because he's not convinced the vaccines are 100% safe. Whether I could get a medical exemption for my daughter or not, I don't know. If the bill passes, California will join 33 other states that do not allow personal belief exemptions. In Tiburon, Lillian Kim, ABC7 News. So Rhett, sweet little Rhett, is just the cutest little thing on earth. He really is. He is a handsome little guy. He's just wearing a spiffy suit and a nice shirt and tie, and, and he looks so good. And apparently he does not give a damn. No. <laughs> No, he does not. And he gave a similar speech at like a leukemia foundation. Yeah, in Washington, D.C. Right, in front of 600 people. And he is just a great public speaker. He really, for listen, for five or six years old, he is going to be a prolific public speaker when he is, when he's, you know, a man. Because he's already pretty goddamn good. Right. My name is Rhett, and cancer ends with me. Leukemia is cancer in my blood. Cancer cells are the bad guys. For three and a half years, I took chemo to get the bad guys out. Thank you for coming to Washington, D.C., so someday everyone can get the bad guys out. Cancer ends with me. Thank you, Leukemia Society, because today I can say, gone with the cancer. My name is Rhett Ann. I give a damn. So I guess he does give a damn. It's not that he doesn't give a damn. It's that he does give a damn. <laughs> he said that the first time, right? No, uh, well, I was wondering what I said. Oh. I think I said he doesn't give a damn. Oh, yes, he does. A lot. <laughs> a, a lot, lot of, of damn. Yeah, he does. So he's adorable. and So here, th- this is what the fight is about. It's this little boy. We wanted to put a face or at least a voice to this thing. This is a real person who's had leukemia since he was an, uh, a, a toddler, maybe an infant. I mean, a little, little baby. He had, he had leukemia, and he's gone through chemotherapy, and he has a suppressed immune system. And he can't get the vaccine. And, and he will, he's getting ready to be able to have the vaccine. Like, so, I think in a couple days. That's right. It's right. He's right up at the time where his immune system is strong enough to do it. But there are, there are many, many kids like him who need these parents to vaccinate their kids so they don't give him what would most likely be a life-ending illness. So ABC7 in San Francisco also did a very short clip on exactly why measles is so dangerous and why the MMR vaccine is so critical right now. I mean, just today, a three-month-old baby was diagnosed in Pasadena, California with the measles. I mean, this is... Vaccinate your goddamn kids because it's not just about your kids. It's about everybody. No one can. Well, just listen, and this will explain exactly why it's so crucial. Measles is the most contagious of viruses, and here's why. A prominent Mayo Clinic researcher says that when the measles virus gets into the lungs, it hijacks a cell to get into the immune system. It then replicates and uses the trachea almost like a trampoline. A single cough or sneeze hurdles the virus through the air in enormous quantities. Measles can linger on a surface, such as a doorknob, for two hours. And if one person has measles, get this, 90% of the people nearby who are not immune will also become infected, 90%. And that certainly explains why it is spreading so rapidly. 92% of doctors now attribute the outbreak to parents not vaccinating their kids. So I guess in, in the mind of these conspiracy theorists, they believe that that 92% of physicians, that they're in on the, they're in on the, the, the campaign to poison and inject diseases 
into the arms of their children. It, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And I, listen, I, I think there's merit to their fear. I understand their fear. They, they love their children. I don't think they're trying to harm their children. Right. But they're not being wise about it. Right. And they're putting many more people at risk, not only their children. I mean, they don't even think that they're putting their children at risk, but not only their children they're putting at risk, they're putting children, like beautiful children like Rhett, likely at risk. Well, and the best thing to convert people, I guess I, I, I don't know if that's the right word to use, the best way to influence people into understanding the reality of vaccines and that they're safe is to just have logical, civil conversations with them. So, right. you know, I don't think that beating up on people is a good thing to do, especially like you said, with parents that really just care about their children. Um, they don't want to feel attacked. And I think it's good to maybe just come at it from a logical, logical point of view. Right. It's difficult, though. I mean, it's one of those things when when it is so critical and there is a danger to children like Rhett. I mean, there is a a, gr a real situation here where he could die where other parents could lose their children because these parents are being irresponsible. Whether or not they believe they're being irresponsible, they are. So the passion is what fuels this, and then people get defensive. It really does. It needs. There needs to be an artful conversation. And even I'm... Look, I'm probably more guilty than anybody of getting fired up and, you know, being a dick about it, which is going to put somebody on the defensive rather than... Let's let's be reasonable about this. Let's talk about this. So, get your kids vaccinated, everybody. So recently, at the beginning of the month, the the venerable and ever loved Lance Armstrong. <laughs> you you think they can uh, pick up on the on the sarcasm there? I hope so. Because I'm laying it on pretty fucking thick. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lance Armstrong was involved in a well. Let's put it this way: Lance Armstrong's girlfriend allegedly. Uh, was involved in a traffic accident after a party late, late at night or early in the morning where she smashed into two cars. Well, the truth came out, and it actually was Lance Armstrong who did the smashing after having drank at a party and drove and smashed into rental cars. So Denver's news station had this to report on the matter. New information tonight on a police investigation involving Lance Armstrong in Aspen. The cyclist now accused of hitting two SUVs after a night of partying and letting his girlfriend take the blame. Both vehicles were hit and damaged in late December. Now, this photo here shows some of the damage to one of those cars. Our Jennifer Bryce joins us now with a look at the evidence in this case. Jen? Karen, in this police report, an Aspen detective says that he was actually very suspicious of the story that Lance Armstrong's girlfriend, Anna Hansen, gave to police when she said that she was the driver in that hit and run. Now, that suspicion led the officer to then go find some surveillance video at a local store to seek the truth. These are the damaged rental cars police say Lance Armstrong hit after allegedly a night of partying in Aspen. Police say initially, Anna Hansen took the rap for her boyfriend. Aspen police have now cited the disgraced cyclist with speeding and failing to report an accident after detectives went digging. This is a picture of the couple off of Armstrong's Twitter page. Allegedly, Armstrong's car slipped on some ice, hit the parked cars, and after the homeowner called police, they say Hansen came to the door saying that she and her husband, Lance Armstrong, would pay for the damages and that Armstrong was driving. Detectives say, though, Hansen told them she was driving, but later came clean saying, quote, it was a joint decision. We had our family name smeared over every paper in the world in the last couple of years. She adds, quote, I thought, gosh, Anna Hansen hit some cars. It's not going to show up in the papers, but Lance Armstrong hit some cars. It's going to be a national story. And when Hansen initially told police that she was driving, she says it was because Lance had had a couple of drinks at the party that they were at. Now Armstrong, he will be back in court in Aspen in March. Back to you. Jennifer, thanks very much. So Lance Armstrong is just apparently completely unable to take responsibility for anything that he does. Well, it, it strikes me as funny might not be the right word, but it strikes me as odd that they say, well, you know, over the last couple of years, our family name has been smeared through every paper on the planet. Well, why do you think that is? It's 
it's a strange thing that, like you said, he can't take responsibility. You're the reason your actions, your habitual cheating, and your lack of integrity are the reasons that your name has been smeared, that all of your Tour de France wins have been stripped from you because you're a terrible human being. Right. You did it to yourself. It would be one thing if he would come out and say, look, hey, ugh, I fucked up, guys. Goddamn, I'm... I'm a flawed human being and the, the the competitive nature in me and the drive to win made me make some bad choices. But he's not man enough to do that. He's not big enough to make that decision. Well, instead, he actually said recently in an interview, if you take me back to 1995 when doping was completely pervasive, I would probably do it again. <laughs> So if he had it to do over again, he wouldn't do anything different either, which he, is shocking. He is a walking, talking, breathing human pothole is what he is. It's unbelievable. Well, listen, it's a it's a it's a joyous day here on I Doubt It with Dollamore. Joining us via Skype are Brian and Darian from one of my very favorite new podcasts, Liar City. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? We are doing well, well, better than uh, better than Lance Armstrong, anyway. Significantly better. I than can Lance. tell, yeah. Well, no, he's he's probably doing fine. He, he doesn't really give <laughs> right. a shit. I he's don't think. he's, he's uh, dancing and 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 swimming in his money. Right. And I, you I, do it all over right. again. I always make jokes about Scrooge McDuck swimming in his giant <laughs> piles of coins, and that's <laughs> it's kind of what I expect from from Lance Armstrong. Although, bike guys who ride bikes are skinny little. They're not your prototypical athlete. When I think of athlete, I might I think of a guy like uh, well, a guy like me, you know, six foot three, <laughs> two hundred seventy pounds, rotund, not uh, you know, not six foot tall and a hundred. So by, by your definition, we're we I am also an athlete. Oh yeah, you and me, fine, I'm... finely tuned machines, Brian. <laughs> <I am. laughs> so it's, it's, that's that's the voice of a wall. You both sound like real walls. So, yeah. <laughs> And that's what's important is defense, right? I take it you're not uh, as rotund as I, Darian. I I might be what is uh, typically described as an ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm very very uh, frail and bird like. Uh, <laughs> oh, so you're like Brittany okay. Page? Yeah, I'm so like, we're all <laughs> equals here. <laughs> right, right. I think you need a skinny co-host. Uh, that's that really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So so you guys just did a show on Lance Armstrong. And uh, what made you choose this particular piece of shit to, to talk about? <laughs> well, um, I guess I've always had this kind of... What you, what I've, I've had an irrational problem with Lance Armstrong since um, 2004. Whenever those, uh, when those stupid bracelets started making an appearance. Oh, yeah. Even when Lindstrom. he was still America's darling. Yeah. Um, I hate when people pretend... Uh, to give a shit about sports that other countries care about. Um, so anybody who, who becomes like a big soccer star in America <laughs> or a big bicyclist, like name another professional cyclist. Name one other one. Yeah, I, I can't. There's none. Yeah, yeah there, there are none. Yeah. The rest of them have unpronounceable French names and nobody gives a shit. Right. But Lance well, Armstrong. The, the is, world cares. The world cares. They, I don't I don't think they do. I refuse to believe that they that the world that cares. Anyone cares? Okay. They're just drinking on the side of the road in France and that's right. They just found out there was a race. Right? Um, I mean really you know, other it, than France and Italy, cycling's not not a big deal. It's not. But it's actually I mean in our research it is especially uh the Tour de France, it's a crazy dangerous and the trek yeah yeah the the trek is dangerous it's i mean it is for the conditioned athlete it is grueling sure sure and that's um that's actually where my research led me to the very beginnings of the tour de france and the drugs and stuff were they were there from the beginning when did it start it's, it's it started in it started in 1903 huh that was the first year and it's run every year uh consecutively since then except for those two periods of uh, time in Europe yeah, when yeah. They're, they're when everybody in Europe was on vacation those years. <laughs> we were we were a little busy at the time, right? All right? Yeah. right. Except for that, it's run continuously. But the first kind of drug scandal was in 1904. Oh, wow. A year, a year after. <laughs> they were all and then there, there were two um, hugely famous uh, cyclists in the 20s 
and uh, they were brothers, uh, Francis and Henry uh, Palacier. And uh, Henry won in 1923, and they gave an interview to a journalist about it, and uh, they casually said, I swear to God, this is a quote, um, we have cocaine to go in our eyes, chloroform for our gums, and do you want to see the pills? We keep going on dynamite. In the evenings, we dance around our rooms instead of sleeping. Wow. Sounds so like a party. The, that's in the 20s. So it's not like cycling and the Tour de France have this history of being above board and and a on the up and up. Yeah, yeah. They don't they don't even have that. Wow. Yeah, that's so that's he awesome. He fits right in. So, so so I I take it that none of this 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 chicanery and his attitude of late surprises you. Not at all. No. Yeah. He's he's been that guy um since birth basically. <laughs> and he's he's been a winning at all cost kind of guy and this is according to his mother. Yeah, you know, I, I watched a, a biography um, from the biography channel, the A&E stuff. Um, one will never ever end because it's pre his fall from grace. And his his mother describes him as tyrannically obsessed with winning at all costs. Yeah. Listen, I, I'm I am a competitive guy. And, you know, all, all the jokes aside about being, you know, more rotund now than I used to be. But I, I ran track in high school and I was good at it. I went to state mm -hmm. and I placed at state. Sure. And um, so I understand having a competitive streak. I understand wanting to be a winner and wanting to win. But the winning at all costs is the problem because you want to win with honor. Because if you win, if you win having cheated, you didn't really win. Right. It's bullshit. He, his presumably and well, I, he said it that he he's of mind that everybody else is doing it. So it really everything cancels everything else out. And he's still a world class athlete regardless. It cancels out having to have dignity and honor. No. Well, <laughs> well, listen, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't take away from him that he is a world class athlete. He absolutely is a world class athlete. However, right. He's not a world class winner. And a, a lot of um, having done no research, you'll have to verify this, you know, um, he pressured and pretty much strong-armed, no pun intended with the live strong or the arm strong. <laughs> strong. He strong-armed his other um, competitors, his other teammates on the Postal Service team he absolutely to did. do it. That, look, fucker, you're going to do it. Don't argue. Go along to get along. At all costs, yeah. Right. I actually, I have an even better story than that, and it goes further back. Before all the Tour de France stuff, before that, um, in June of 93, so... A, a good while before any of that, before the cancer, before he's a name, before anything, he won uh, what's called the Thrift Drug Triple Crown of Cycling, right? Uh, I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it, it it's, it's a thing. It's, yes, it's a, it's, yes it's, he did. It's three, yeah. it's three races. Uh, it's an American thing. Um, it's three races, and winning all three is like the Triple Crown, like the like horse racing, same thing. Wow. And it's a big deal. Um, hardly anybody's ever done it, and it it's you know the big championship thing. And if you win all three at the time, I don't know what it is now, but at the time you got a million dollars. So he won the first two. However, <laughs> dramatic pause, after, everybody. Yeah, after, <laughs> after, after all these, uh, the doping charges and all that. And after the USADA banned him for life, a guy came out of the woodwork like, like they do. And, um, it turns out he paid this guy, an Italian cyclist, uh, his name Gaglioli, I think. I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but he gave him $100,000 to throw the last leg of that race. What a prick. Because he wasn't going to win it anyway. Right. So. Wow. So that, yeah, he gave him. Payday. Um, here's another quote. Uh, <laughs> it was a young American colleague at the door. He gave me a cake wrapped as a present, wished me happy Christmas, and then left. There was $100,000 in small bills in the box. That colleague was Lance Armstrong. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's 90. That's 93. That's what I feel is significant about what he said about that he would do it all over again. It seems like, you know, reflecting on what's happened, that someone who's such a tremendous athlete that wanted to compete would have tried to change the system of doping that was occurring rather than just joining forces. Well, not only that, listen, if the dragging of your sacred name through the papers and through the mud over the course of the last couple of years was so terrible, if it was so terrible for you and your family, then given the chance to go back and do it the right way again, you would any normal person would say, yeah, you know, 
it's been so terrible, and my my name has been besmirched. I would I would do the right thing this last time, uh, to given it the chance. Even just from a a, a self awareness perspective, like even if you don't truly believe that, you would say it, right? Unless you were a complete and total sociopath, like you would you would lie and say, oh, of course I would change everything. Well, that, that's what's weird is that he's not. He he his optics are so off that yeah. he he's not even. I mean, it almost wants you you want to give him credit. Well, at least he's just an honest dickhole, you know? Yeah, but there's an honesty and then you, you got you to gotta wonder if he isn't self-aware at that point. Like, well, I, does he not realize I have a theory I have a theory about wrong. these kind of athletes that, you know, guys mm-hmm. like LeBron James, whom I'm not a fan. Um mm-hmm. but guys like LeBron James, they they grow up and they are rock stars. From the time that they're, you know, in junior high, they are worshipped by coaches and teachers and fans and parents. And they right, they right. grow up with a warped sense of who they are and, and their worth to our society. So I give them a little bit of leeway. I, I mean, I I say that, but then, you know, a guy like Kanye, I want to just stomp on his neck. Right. So <laughs> they by this time, LeBron James and especially fucking Kanye, they have had enough time to self-actualize. They've had plenty of time. Right. They to, see to get over they that. see poverty. They see terrible things. They it should balance their worldview that they are just lucky. That you know it's you would you would think. Uh, or just or just people telling them, you know, the the critics and what have you. You know, coming out and saying, Hey, do you realize how skewed your worldview is? Nobody, people criti- nobody criticizes that. LeBron James. Yeah, listen, it's it's a, it's a it's a problem not just with the United States either. This is something that the, the world can't just point at us and say, "Look, yeah, your athletes are because this Messier guy and I mean, he's a soccer player who's who's always in trouble or I'd say that like I know, but he's not such <laughs> he's not authority. Yeah, he's not a hero, you know. He's no he's no Joe Montana who was never in trouble. He's he's a guy who who's got problems and it's not this is one thing that the world also shares with us that dickhead athletes who are worshipped they they have a problem and they need to be taken down a few notches. Right. <laughs> the world loves to do that. So it's coming to all of them at some point. Yeah. It's not it's not coming for soccer players. No, probably no, not those... probably not in America. No, not in America, certainly <laughs> not. Well, that's good. You know, I'm I'm hoping that this uh that this uh this terrible guy who's willing to throw his girlfriend to the wolves uh, is going to get his comeuppance because Colorado, they're not going to treat him like uh, like Los Angeles court would, where, you know, a girl like Lindsay Lohan gets chance after chance after chance after chance. She spends 15 minutes in jail after doing something that would <laughs> would land somebody in jail for months. It's you, uh, you think he's going to do time? I don't think he'll do time, but, the, you know, because I don't think it's a it's a time kind of a thing. You know, you no. you bang into a couple of rental cars, but leaving the scene of an oh, accident—it is, it is filing a false report and leaving. Yeah, yeah, there, hit and run. Just, there's I mean, some actionable stuff in there. But he he probably doesn't have a criminal record, and that'll that'll weigh heavily on on right. like a first offense kind of thing. But I would love for shit. I'd love to see him uh, <laughs> have him throw the book at him. So he was he will he will regress to the mean. He, he was not an awesome person as a kid and as a teenager. And this whole cycling thing was his outlet, you know, according to his mother and all the people that still give a shit about him. I, I think that he will become who he was going to become without the cycling. Yeah. And it'll only get worse from here on out. Well, like I dropped before. What a prick. <laughs> so um, tell us a little bit before I let you go. Tell us a little bit about your show and where people can find you. Because uh, it seriously, I I'm I'm really loving it. It's awesome. You've you've done some great stuff on the Satanic Panic of the '80s, and uh, of course the Charlatan. You know, you haven't touched on Joel Austin or anything yet, but uh, we're get, we're getting there. He's those on the list. those type of guys, I love I love what you're doing. And uh, where you. can people find you? Thank you very much. Um, we can we can be found anywhere wherever podcasts are sold. Um, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, um. Any any of the podcast catcher apps, um, but and your website just liarcity.com. Liarcity.com. I appreciate you guys coming on, and we will. Uh, I will certainly will put some, the link in the show notes and uh, give Thank a you. reminder at the end of the show to to check you out. Thanks for coming on. 
Thanks for having us. We love your show, too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. You're damn right you do. <laughs> hey. Yeah, it was, uh, that was nice. Nice having him on. Um, I really do. I love his show. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's unique, interesting. A lot of times, you know, with independent podcasts, it's usually five nerds sitting down in their mom's basement talking about video games. And it's very rare that a show... Um, comes out that has a, a specific kind of a theme to it that I can really, I really dig. And that's, th that is one of the shows that as soon as it comes out, I'm, I'm downloading it and I'm listening to it. You know, I've subscribed. So it's, it's good. So this week, I guess yesterday or the day before this news came out that an atheist and, um, avowed self, self proclaimed atheist has killed, murdered three Muslim, uh, students at Chapel Hill in North Carolina. And it's getting a lot, a lot of press, a lot of, uh, a lot of passions on both sides of the issue. Well, because apparently the issue happened over a, a parking situation. That's one of the theories, yeah. And he is known for being a hostile neighbor, kind of a hostile person. And all, all, all evidence I've heard, it's, he sounds like a prick. So I think a lot of his neighbors have kind of complained about him and his behaviors in the past. And he evidently had an issue with the parking situation, went to confront the individuals and then shot them execution style and murdered them and then turned himself in. So this is a very strange story. Yeah. All the elements are weird. And people are saying that this instead is not due to a parking discrepancy, but instead was a targeted hate crime toward the Muslim students. And there have been people, you know, tweeting about this. CJ Worleman, your favorite guy. Uh, um, people talking about how this needs to be investigated as though it was a hate crime. And that's kind of interesting to me, though. I mean, this guy did post anti-religious things on his Facebook page. And, you know, his last name is Hicks, which is... <laughs> No irony there, right? Just the, a dirty hick. The things, the <laughs> things that he wrote and the things that he said were very, um, didn't seem very educated. I well, mean, from what I've seen, there are reports of him, um, having like loudly saying disparaging thing because they wear the hajib, they wear the headscarf, which is you know, it's because they follow their mythology and their their fairy tale. But you don't have to berate someone. You know what I mean? I mean, if someone wears a cross, you're not going to say loudly how stupid you think they are because they have a cross around their neck. It's just, you don't have to be a prick just because they believe something different than you. Just because they believe in a fairy tale, which I believe they do, doesn't mean you have to berate them. It's their ideas that are a problem, not them. So... People have been, these individuals who believe it should be investigated as though it's a hate crime have been blaming the new atheists like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins. And C.J. Rolleman specifically said that they have blood on their hands. Oh, yeah. Well, he also said this. He, he, he said, if Iraq has taught us anything, it's Americans can kill as many Muslims as they want without, being called, without it being called terrorism. So he's, he's asserting that this act by this asshole is terrorism. So Sam Harris was asked for a statement by the Washington Post, and they decided to put his response um, in full because he requested that they publish it in full in the article if they were gonna oh, good. if they were gonna quote him. So I would just like to read that. He says, there is a huge difference between legitimate criticism of bad ideas and bigotry against specific groups of people, parenthetically, which, in the worst case, can result in hate crimes. It is one thing to believe that specific doctrines within Islam, parenthetically, or any system of thought, are unfounded, harmful, and in need of public criticism. It is another thing to entirely hate Muslims or Arabs, immigrants, etc., as people. For instance, I am currently writing a book with a Muslim friend, Mahajid Nawaz. He's the guy who's commonly on CNN. He used to be an extremist. Right. Yeah. Who I consider a true hero, parenthetically, Islam and the future of tolerance, which I'm assuming is maybe his book title or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. In this book, I tell him why I think many of the doctrines of Islam are dangerous and irredeemable, while he argues that the tradition has found ways to circumvent the very issues I raise. The result isn't bigotry. 
it isn't even socially awkward. We are simply two friends having a civil conversation on a very important topic. If a person considers his atheism, a lack of belief in God, or secularism, a commitment to keeping religion out of public policy, a basis for hating whole groups of people, he is either deeply confused about what it means to think critically or suffering from some psychological disorder. Well, if stupidity is a psychological disorder, then yes. I, I don't. I believe this guy doesn't have the, the mental um, horsepower to process the nuance of that argument. I think it's, oh, they disagree with me, I've got to hate them. And he's, you know, I don't, listen, whether or not he's an atheist doesn't have anything to do with it. And I don't think that, from what I know now, it it doesn't sound like um, that this was a, a, a an act of, uh, in the moment, the passion of the moment. You know, you don't, mar you don't scream in marching in because you're arguing about a parking spot and then line them up and shoot them execution style. That's... This was premeditated. This guy's, you know, he needs to go away. I mean, he's, there's no, there's zero justification for what he did. He needs to be punished for this. Well, and I mean, of course he needs to be punished for this. This is terrible. I mean, one of the, he killed two women and a male and the man that he killed was raising money on a crowdsourcing campaign online to collect donations for the Syrian American Medical Society Foundation. His Refugee Smiles focuses on providing dental care to refugees of the Syrian war in Turkey. So this is someone that was, you know, doing charity work. Sure. He was reaching out. He was helping people. He was saving lives. And this is why it's nonsensical. I mean, if if I've met some angry, very angry atheists, and it's frankly, it's embarrassing um, to the cause. Um, and also makes everybody look bad because there's no reason to hate people. There's no reason to to be hateful about about people. I mean, just because someone thinks differently doesn't mean they're a bad person as represented by this person that was murdered. I right. mean, he he just has a different belief system and you can think it's ridiculous. That's fine. But he was a good person right. and he didn't deserve this. And it's ridiculous that this happened. It um. It, it, it leads me back to when I was on the Nerd Out Loud show with uh, Christy and Jeremy, and they asked me why so many atheists are assholes. And that that bums me out that that is such a um, a common a common thought. Listen, I, a lot of people are going to think that just because I if I make a Facebook post um, like I do and like I will continue to do about the inconsistencies and what I think are terrible elements of these different faiths, that doesn't mean I'm an asshole, but there's a weird antagonism that comes in with with a lot of these atheists. I was talking to, to Brett the other day about it. Brett number one. Brett number one about it. And it's it's strange that there's this weird, like, I'm so smart and I'm so great and I'm intellectual and I'm going to show you how smart I am and by virtue of how smart I am, how stupid you are. And it doesn't move the conversation forward. It doesn't do anything for, for relations between atheists and believers at all. All it does is it serves to, to set us apart. And when you have these YouTube channels you know, the cult of Dusty and the amazing atheists, those type of guys who they're stone cold assholes. That is what they are. They, they come across like pricks. And I think rather than they're not being evangelical, like I talk about being an evangelical atheist, I want to get the message out and convince people and change hearts and minds. That's what I want to do. I don't think that they serve that. That, to that end. I think what they serve is as an entertainment vessel for other atheists. So other atheists can feel, oh yeah, we are so smart. We are so great. Rather than trying to, to change hearts and minds. Yeah. I mean, I just have to say most atheists that I've encountered on the internet have not been super great. Yeah. So it's weird that they have that, that sense of entitlement or feeling so great, you know? It's just strange to me. I don't well, know. listen, there there is some merit to why atheists are so distrusted in our society. You know, a lot of it could stem. I don't know, but it could stem from what people see and people are being assholes about it. 
rather than just like, hey, it, listen, if 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 you show me evidence, I'm I'm there with you. Why would I not want eternal life? Why would I not want to be in the congregation of the believers and in, in this this the greatest fraternity of all time? It's a great club. Right. Well, I mean, and that's I like just the opening sentence that Sam Harris gave. There is a huge difference between legitimate criticism of bad ideas and bigotry against specific groups of people. Absolutely. There's a difference between ideas and people. And we can criticize a religion and love the shit out of religious people that we know. You I mean, that sure is can, that's yeah. absolutely the case. So, yeah, it's a bummer. So, hearkening back to our talk about Valentine's Day, this Valentine's Day, there's a movie called Fifty Shades of Grey, which is based on a book um, that is coming out. And there is a group that is is kind of pushing people to, they're asking for donations to battered women's shelters, I believe, rather than seeing the film. And they've got this, this hashtag started that's um, hashtag $50, not 50 shades. Right, so... This social media campaign is asking people to donate $50 to the domestic violence shelter rather than spending it on the movie tickets and popcorn because we all know that movies are that expensive these days. Yeah, yeah. And a quote from one of the organizers of the movement told the Washington Times, people are really upset about this movie and its potential for glamorizing stalking and abusive behavior. So they're happy to have the chance to do something positive to help offset the damage. They say that women... Real women, quote, don't end up like Anastasia. They often end up in a woman's shelter on the run for years or dead. And that was the National Campaign on Sexual Exploitation, one of the sponsors of this campaign that said that. And I like this message. I haven't read the book. I won't because uh, I don't have time for that. <laughs> um, but you've talked to several people who have read the book. Yes. And there's a lot of things in it that are problematic. Um, the main thing for me is the idea of, you know, this broken guy who, and you kind of see this from the trailer. If you've seen the trailer, there's a part where he's like, you should stay away from me. I've been through some bad stuff or like, you know, he says it playing the bad boy. kind Right. Of thing. And apparently he, you know, comes from a background of abuse and he, he doesn't know how to connect with people. And so he does it you know, through BDSM and through controlling what she wears, what she eats. And BDSM, bondage, domination, sadomasochism is what that is. Yeah. I mean, if you've seen the trailer. Yeah. Rough sex, abuse, you know, some would consider violent. So he apparently shows his love through controlling what she eats, what she wears, what when she exercises, you know, he wants her to like sign a contract and there's some like stalking stuff that occurs. Um, Where he gets obsessive and he stalks her. Right. Like shows up at her house and she doesn't know, like she never gave him her, his ad, her address or something. Anyway, I haven't read the book. I've just, this is what I've heard from people. And, also, I think the story, as it continues through the book, it's more about the relationship and kind of the female character, Anna, wanting to fix him and help him. Uh, that's problematic. And I just don't see why women idealize this relationship and, and think he's so attractive. And I mean, the only things that I've heard have, have been really negative and not things that are super appealing to me. Even just putting the BDSM aside, if that's your thing, great. The other things in it just are are kind of problematic for me. And so I think this is a good campaign that really emphasizes, listen, if you're in a situation where a guy is wanting to control what you eat, what you wear, when you exercise, what friends you have, where you go, he's showing up to places when you haven't told him that you're going right. to be there or whatever. That's abusive. And, you know, people, <laughs> women have uh, restraining orders placed on people. Uh, celebrities have these type of people in their lives and they end up going to prison because it's a crime. It's criminal behavior. It's also, it's, it's, a, it's a problem. It's scary. It, it's concerning. Yeah. And so I think it's a, it's a good campaign. It's good awareness. I mean, I don't think that, you know, the movie needs to be banned and no one can see it or anything like that. But, you know, if, if you re aren't really on board with what the movie paints as a super fantastic relationship and you don't agree with it then you know donate 50 bucks to a domestic violence shelter this weekend instead of going to see it and and hashtag it yeah 
great. Well, you know, the good thing is, if anything else, or if nothing else, <laughs> my my little turn of phrase was wrong. If nothing else, a conversation is is going to get started, and we get, there people can talk about this. You know, that's a that's a the super positive thing. So, right. And if you've read the book and you don't agree with me, call in, record a message, tell me about it, what yeah. you like about it, what's so great about Mister Gray. Uh, that I'm not saying. Well, or if you agree, I'd like to. I'd, yeah, or I'd, if you agree. I would like to hear from women about really what their feelings are on this. So 657-464-7609. Of course, record yourself on your smartphone and email it to idoubtit.dollamore.com. So with that, I think we're going to we're gonna leave it. Um, listen, if you haven't called in with your message telling me how little you like the show... <laughs> Or how little you listen to the show, please do. Just say your name. You don't have to give your last name. Just your name and where you live, and how much you don't, how much you hate us. <laughs> Call it in or email it. That would be awesome. Listen, the website went a, had a little bit of a face uh, lift today. I had some issues with the the theme on on uh, WordPress, and since I am not a tech guy at all, not in the slightest. I just had uh, had someone just kind of give make it very basic. So you no longer, to find the Amazon search bar, you no longer have to click any link. It's right there on the left-hand side of the page. Just scroll right down. And, you know, you can make your, your Amazon purchase there. If you're, if you're going to spend your money anyway, you're, it would be well-served to, to use the website because it uh, your purchase goes a long way toward helping us defray costs and be able to provide you this lovely programming twice a week. However, the the support the show link is still there if you'd like to donate through Patreon. You can either just go to patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore or go to dollamore.com and click on the support the show link and it's right there. So that would also, if you have extra change laying around, you'd like to to make a, a per show donation or just a monthly donation, you can do that too. You know, like I said, we, we don't talk about it all the time. In fact, very rarely do we talk about it. But since the website's changed, I took the opportunity to uh, shamelessly plug the Patreon side of things. So listen, we love you for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for helping us move the conversation forward. Thanks for joining in the conversation twice a week. We love you for it. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. My name is Brittany.